This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. This is episode 15. I'm P.F. Wilson, content director for Cincy Shirts and our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. Today on our show, Dean Regas from the Cincinnati Observatory. Folks uh, like that are, they look at Mars as, you know, our destiny in our way. It's our place that we're going to go. We're going to colonize. I am not an advocate of that. I am, I am, space is out to kill us. So I knew we had an observatory, but I didn't really know anything about it or the fascinating history behind it. Dan Shriver, our science yeti and one of our store managers, filled me in a bit before Dean came over for the interview. They're just down the street. We're on observatory. They're on observatory, the street named, obviously, for the observatory. And uh, Dean is an absolute hoot. He's very informative, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. If you're interested in space and space exploration and astronomy, this is straight in your basket. Uh, Not only do we talk about space exploration, as you just heard in that clip, but the history of the observatory, what happened to Cincinnati's other proposed observatory, Dean's bold prediction for the future regarding planetary exploration and astronomy, and a lot more. So let's talk to Dean Regas from the Cincinnati Observatory. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. She came down Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. With no offense to PF yes. um, and to other people who work here, most people that work here are art kids yeah, yeah. or stand-up comedians. Yeah. And they don't like... It's not the main crooks of their world. Right, it's, right. Yeah, like yeah. For instance, like for me, I tip, I have this on my on my shelf at home. I have John Quincy Adams. <laughs> Yep. And your founder sitting. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a printing place. On, cool. So for, those are from the Ohio Historical Society. Yeah. Um, that I, uh, they're throwing away and I saved from the garbage. Wow, cool. So, so yeah, so just let you know, I'm more minded in that sense. Yeah, yeah. But we're just going to have a good time. And, yeah, yeah. I just like space. Yeah. I like space. Good. <laughs> good. So I'll let you start it off. And uh, Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I saw you on Fox 19 and I thought, wow, that guy'd make a great guest. <laughs> because, like I said, I've got a sort of interest in space, and I was just telling Dan and Darren, our owner, who just left, that uh, I was watching one of the news channels yesterday, and they had some things about uh, Mars, mm-hmm. terraforming Mars, and looking for exoplanets. I thought, how timely. Yep. So, um, But Dan had a, a good notion. He thought we should probably start with the history of the observatory, because people really don't know. I think we have an observatory, oh, yeah. and that it's, uh, it's actually pretty unique, because I lived in Pittsburgh for a while. We had the Buell Planetarium. Mm. I don't think we have a planetarium in Cleveland, where I grew up. Can you kind of walk us through how we end up with an observatory in Cincinnati? Yeah, it's a pretty long roundabout story, but uh, it all started with a guy named Ormsby McKnight Mitchell, uh, who raised the money for the first observatory by going door to door asking people for 25 bucks. And this is back in 1842, so that is a lot of money. And so here comes this guy up to your door and say, hey, uh, I'm Ormsby Mitchell. I'm raising money for a telescope I don't have for an observatory I haven't <laughs> built. Give me a month's salary. What are you going to say? Sure, why not? What else do I got to do? It's 1842. I'm in Cincinnati. I'm a new newcomer to the city. Sure, I'll give it back. And so uh, he raised about $9,200 in a month and a half. So about the equivalent of $2 million today. That's quite a Kickstarter. Definitely. I mean, this is crowdsourcing right here, except door to door. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so 
Uh, he took his money, went to uh, Munich, Bavaria, found the telescope they want from the best telescope makers in the whole world. Then they brought it back to Cincinnati, and he started construction of the observatory. And so the observatory, its current spot is, well, that's, that's its current spot. Its original spot was on a hill overlooking downtown called Mount Ida. And Mount Ida, yeah. you, you may be less familiar with, <laughs> but Mount Ida is named after... It's a, a lady that lived in a tree. That is correct. A lady right. lived in a tree. Her right. name was Ida. Lived in a hollowed-out sycamore tree. Uh, so Mitchell writes to John Quincy Adams, that was a former president. He comes to Cincinnati to dedicate the building. And uh, he gives this long, flowing speech on the top of Mount Ida. And then afterwards, they rename the hill Mount Adams. And so that's where Mount Adams comes from, is because the observatory was there. And the telescope sat there for 30 years until the pollution of downtown got so bad that they had to move the telescope to the deep, dark wilderness <laughs> of the new part of town, Mount Lookout. And that's where Mount Lookout gets its name. So that telescope that they uh, that he purchased, this is Mitchell that purchased it, uh-huh. correct? Yes. It's Bavarian made. Yes. It's brass with a mahogany or wooden lay over it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's 11 inches in diameter. The lens is 11 inches. Uh, the tube is 16 feet long made out of mahogany. And so the mahogany is the exterior layer of it. Then there's an interior layer of wood. Uh, so a very beautiful telescope. Unbelievable craftsmanship that went into so it. So the 11 inch, is that the aperture we call the lens? Correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. Is that... In 1840-whatever, 43, 40s, that was a fairly large lens to be made. Oh, definitely. And those were, were those, when when people made those lenses, were they, they were obviously ground down to, but was that firstly, first like poured into a mold and then was ground down or was, what's the process of making a lens in 1843? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, first off, yeah, that was (coughs) 11-inch diameter lens, that made it the third largest in the world at the time, so... Only a rich guy in England and the Tsar of Russia had right. a bigger one. So the people of Cincinnati had the third biggest telescope in the world. Pretty and cool. all those people that paid that 25 bucks, then they got to come back and use the telescope. And so Mitchell uh, definitely uh, did a little twist at, uh, at the Tsar and said, Hey, Tsar, you got one. Cincinnati's got one, too. And the Tsar was a big astronomer. He was. He was. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and that was a fairly aristocratic hobby yes. Um, yes. for folks back in the day. Yeah. Right. And so then the manufacture of those lenses, yeah, I mean, these are all hand ground to this unbelievable perfection. Right. I mean, the, the curve on it is just right. So they just take two lenses, grind them over top of each other, and you got to get them right down to the right curvature and even today the uh the we shine lasers through the the lenses and it hits almost dead center still today even after 173 years so what can you see in 1842 with that telescope man you could see a whole lot more stars than we can today (laughs) that's for sure uh yeah without light pollution they were seeing stars you know thousands of stars in the sky and so you know, he pointed, of course, at the bright stuff like the moon and the planets. But then he started working on double stars, which is something that uh, was done a little bit in Europe, but not in the United States. And the fact that we were actually farther south than most of the observatories, like in Russia, uh, we could actually see the southern sky better than they could in in, uh, in St. Petersburg, sure. where they had the telescope, and in England also. Very good. So the, the light pollution in 1850s... Was it more light pollution or was it more like soot and, and industrial coal uh, uh, boats going up in the river, yeah, coal yeah. production? Was that playing more of it or was it actual light pollution that moved um, Mount Adams to... Uh, to yeah, it, in this case, this was pollution. It was pollution, straight up pollution. Air pollution, yeah, because uh, everybody was burning coal, mm-hmm. uh, the soft coal that left us really dark smoke. 
Uh, and then the spot where the observatory was on Mount Adams, that's where the monastery is today. So if okay. you picture stand up there in that parking lot up yeah. there mm-hmm. and you look down, that's the valley. It was just totally flooded with smoke. And, you, and the way pollen sits in the valley now, you can imagine what cool oh, yeah. smoke just sat there on yeah. a muggy day. So the western sky was clouded over. The southern sky <laughs> was clouded over. It was, yeah, it was not a good situation. So they needed to get out of there. And So when it, so how long did the observatory exist and work in Mount Adams before it was moved to Mount Lookout. Yeah, yeah. So the first light was April 14th, 1845. So that was just, that was just, you celebrated that just a couple exactly, days ago. Exactly, exactly. So 173 years since we started. Uh, and so it was used pretty regularly for the first decade while Mitchell was still there. Okay. Then Mitchell went to the Civil War and fought as a general in the Civil War for the North and died in the Civil War. Uh, his uh, successor was a guy named Cleveland Abbey, who took over, and he did not have much luck with the telescope. So by the 1860s, they couldn't see through all that smoke. Mm-hmm. So he didn't do a whole lot there. Uh, he en- ended up doing another hobby, which was weather predicting. Yeah. Oh. And so Cleveland Abbey became the first real weatherman. And didn't Grant or someone in government took him? Right. Because they, they thought there was going to be... A new, another war that they might be able to use predictive meteorological surveying for. Well, it certainly helps uh, the troops to know what weather's coming. And sure. uh, you can use that to your advantage if you can predict that ahead of time. And so Cincinnati has, uh, those are our two firsts with the observatory. First major observatory in the Western Hemisphere and the first weather predictor. Yeah, he published his weather predictions basically because he couldn't see squat through that telescope. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking to other observatories or other things Further west, and yeah. then seeing that, like, oh, it's raining in St. Louis yesterday, uh, and they're using telegraph too. It seems painfully obvious to us, right? <laughs> but here he is, he's sitting on Mount Adams, the telegraph line just comes up. He's like, Well, I'm bored, there's none of the stars. Let's see, what's going on in Indianapolis? What's going on in St. Louis? Sure, and then he could get the, the, the prevailing winds, he knows sure. what could be coming. And so uh, he gets the nickname Old Probabilities because he made the probability of what kind of weather you'd have. <laughs> uh, Mitchell was Old Stars. That was right. his name. So I'm trying to get my nickname worked out. Right now, I'm Old Fart. Old but I'm, fart getting, I'm getting there. I'm getting, trying to work my way up in the old category. Oh, and as people of, of a certain age like us, you know, most people got interested in space either probably two ways. Through the space program, which was prevalent when we were growing up, actually kind of predates us, I think, because we're close to the same age, probably, or science fiction. What was your route into space studies and astronomy? Definitely not traditional. I mean, I was, I was as a kid, I was kind of interested, but not superbly. I mean, I didn't really look, I don't think I really looked through telescopes. I didn't go to observatories. We had a planetarium that we went to. Uh, it really came later in life for me. I uh, what part? What part of the world have you grew, did you grow up? In? I grew up in Columbus, Columbus Ohio. Okay. So gotcha. I went to Cosi up there the, gotcha. quite often yeah, yeah. As, a, as a youngster, and I thought it was cool, but I didn't think that's what I wanted to do. I uh, I had grander plans than this, being an astronomer. I wanted to play professional football, and uh, well, you guys can see that's not going to work out. There are people in the uh, hearing can't, you know. But anyway, I'm a pretty scrawny, 150 pound guy. So so I tried to I had to give give up that dream, and then. Uh, tried lots of different to- uh, subjects in school, and I graduated to be a high school history teacher. That's okay. what I want to do. Uh-huh. And I did my student teaching and then figured out, I don't want to be a high school history teacher. <laughs> this is really tough. Uh, so I worked for the Cincinnati Parks doing nature ed. 
I was at California Woods for a little bit, Avon Woods for a little bit, and then Burnett Woods. And at Burnett Woods, they have a little planetarium at the end of the lake. Mm -hmm. And they said, "Uh, Dean, glad you're here. You're running the planetarium. First show's next week. Get studying. (laughs) And uh, then I just fell in love with the subject. I would have never fell into this if that didn't happen and it was just amazing that uh, I got lucky enough to be placed there cool so did you have to go back to school and relearn or do you learn on your own I'm self-taught so uh, I haven't taken one astronomy class and it's just it's uh, it's part of my uh, my lifestyle I would say so you are a citizen scientist in the the highest regard wow yeah 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 Yeah, I I always had a little even today I still feel a little uncomfortable calling myself an astronomer because of that sure but other people People are saying, well, wait, uh, hold on. You get paid to do astronomy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're an right. astronomer. But I, I still have a lot of amateur at heart, you know. But yeah. uh, And I think that's what helps me uh, relate to folks that come to the observatory is that they're all amateurs. They're all beginners in this. And I remember what it was like to be like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm, I come from a teaching background, too. And I've always found that the, the, the people who are sometimes most passionate are about it are the hobby people, the people who make it part of this, like they're part of their life, yeah. not part of their job. Exactly. So you, get, you get your job doing it, you you lose sight of, of how really amazing a subject is because it's, a, it's something you have to do every day. Yeah, and, and I, even after doing this for 20 years, I'm still, uh, still in awe of the universe, but uh, the biggest kick I get out of it is seeing people look through telescopes sure. and look through the scope at the observatory and see their faces just light up and their mm-hmm. eyes light up to see the same kind of stuff that, that kind of inspired me too. Very cool. Absolutely. Very cool. How, how can people, amateur people, people look out the window and they go, Oh, they see Orion. They go, wow, that's really amazing. I want to know more about Orion and his belt. And why not? How can they become, better astronomers here in Cincinnati. Well, yeah, so weather is uh, unfortunately a problem with us in Cincinnati. It's cloudy half the time, mm-hmm. uh, so that can be really frustrating. So uh, what I usually tell is uh, I give people say, do my five-day challenge. You go outside five clear nights. Uh, as soon as, you know, if you do them five in a row, that's great. But five clear nights, pick about the same time of night, same viewing location. And stuff will start to make sense. You'll start to see the same patterns over and over and over again. And you'll say, oh, well, that blue star is over the neighbor's house. And that big, dippy, spoony thing up there is over there. That's always above the tree. Orion's belt. And so you'll get to identify these landmarks. And that's, uh, I I just remember, uh, it it seems like an intimidating subject at first. You have this vastness of the universe. Mm -hmm. But once you get a few landmarks in the sky, Big Dipper, Orion's Belt, and identify planets especially, once you can see, I mean, nobody ever pointed that out to me as a kid. Mm -hmm. That bright light is Venus, or that bright light is Jupiter. It's one of those things, once you get that, and you say, wait, that is a planet. That's millions of miles away. I'm seeing it with my naked eye. Whoa, that's pretty cool. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Stuff. So that's where I start. I say the five-day challenge uh, and then find the five planets so you can see with the naked eye. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And no telescope needed. You can see them. Right. And you can go to the observatory on when those are high or at a good, a good locale and get a really sweet oh, yeah. image yeah. of those planetary neighbors. Yeah. And so that's the other thing is uh, I've heard so many people, and it happened to me, when I uh, pointed the telescope at the planetarium's telescope, which was a piece of work, I had to like, you know, take it out of the basement, dust it off, and try to figure out how to work it. And when I aimed that at Saturn and looked through the first time, so I 
just the, the act of making a telescope work and aiming at the right place and focusing and then seeing Saturn, that is something I want everybody to do. And you see it at our scope at the observatory, then you really just, wow. And, and, awesome. just, and just to, to back up a second, you have two telescopes at the observatory. That's right. Um, yeah. you, have the, you have a later model 1911 or something or yeah yeah or? well i showed which one i like better didn't right. I? I, like the, I like the older one way way better sure. uh, the new <laughs> i do joke about the newer one i'm like yeah well whatever about the newer one but, uh, it is it is but most it is an impressive mm-hmm. piece of engineering the new one is is massive it's uh, 22 feet long 16 inches in diameter mm-hmm. uh, made by alvin clark and sons and uh, it was made in 1904, so we call that the new one, the but new it's uh, <laughs> it's still pretty crazy. And uh, uh, to look through that one is, is awesome, too. We don't use that one as it's often because okay. it's a little bit harder to position. And the views through the two are very similar, actually. Uh, when we look at planets, the, the older scope is sometimes better than the newer scope. The newer scope really uh, excels with fainter things uh, like nebulas sure. and star clusters. Well, that's because you're getting more light exactly. in the bigger lens. Exactly. But both of them are in working order. Both of them work by hand. Uh, you can move them all by hand. You move the dome by hand. You open the dome by hand. It's, it's uh, cool. And so if people come visit... Uh, you can always ask the the people working. Say, hey, can I spin the roof? Uh-huh. Let's spin the roof. <laughs> it's cool. pretty cool. Very cool. Wow. Very cool. So you're talking about lo- locating the planets. That's always the tricky one, isn't it? Because of course, planets are of course the wandering stars. Right. Yep. And so, what's the best resource to find out? Because I, I can probably spot Venus. I can maybe sometimes spot Mars because in in good light in a good night sky, it's got does that reddish hinge uh-huh. to it. Yep. It maintains that. But other than that, I kind of guess at Jupiter, and then uh, and Saturn. Don't know Mercury is kind of hard to see because it's just above the horizon most of the time, exactly. and you can't see it. So, what's a good resource? Would you recommend for people to try to find because Big Dipper, you know, and Orion's Belt are easy, but how yeah. do you find the planets? Yeah, I think the best way nowadays is using apps. You know, you get these okay. apps on your phone yeah. that can tell you what's up in the sky. And, you know, part of me thinks that's cheating. Part of me thinks that's uh, going to drive me out of business. But, you know, they'll, uh, they'll still need me for something. Uh, but, yeah, you take your phone, you, you get it synced, and you, you get it uh, on the Wi-Fi and knows where you are, and you hold up to the sky, and it'll tell you what those things are. And so, especially, it works really well with bright stuff. It doesn't work great with constellations sometimes, but if you're looking outside and you're like, whoa, what is that suspicious light? You hold your phone up and it'll tell you what it is. So Venus is, uh, you know, for uh, Venus is going to be visible right after sunset for the next several months. I think all the way through to the beginning of fall. Jupiter's coming around May. Saturn is mid June and or late June, and um, Mars is late July. Those are the peak times. Okay. So when in doubt, check out the observatory website, and it will list which planets we're looking at. Because like you said, yeah, we look at them when they're at their best. Mm-hmm. And so this summer is going to be chock full of planets. Uh, yeah, Venus, Mars, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, all four of them will be visible starting in uh, late July. But uh, they'll come one at a time. And uh, so right now it's uh, Venus season. Venus season. So that information you gave us, you have Stargazer mm-hmm. that you, got, you do. Now... The original name for that show was Star Hustler. Correct. So, are you more of a hustler or are you a gazer? <laughs> uh, I've been uh, I've been told a few things. I've been, I, it's kind of funny when I do interviews. Uh, a lot of the people that interview me, they're afterwards. They're like, 
whoa, I, I thought I thought you were going to be really boring. I thought this <laughs> like I thought, and one guy gave me I guess it was a compliment after off the air. He said. You sounded more like a game show host than, a, <laughs> than an astronomer. I was like, okay, I'll take that as a as a good thing. Uh, yeah, so Star Hustler was what it was originally called when Jack Horkheimer he started the show, um, and then the the story is once the internet started coming around and people looked up Star Hustler, they got something Lots else. Lots of other stuff, right? <laughs> so he changed the name to Stargazer. And then uh, Jack passed away in 2010, and so they had some tryouts to do the show and continue the show, and uh, uh, so I went for a couple tryouts, and they liked what I was doing, and then they paired me with another fellow from Florida called, uh, his name's James Alberry. And so we've been doing the show uh, ever Amazing. since then. Yeah. I, I was raised on Star Hustler, Stargazer. I, I just seem to stumble on it. I've seen it a lot. If yeah. I just stumble, what's the best time to see it? Oh, good question. Uh, <laughs> Channel 48, if you're listening out there. They only air it usually at 12.55 a.m. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, real prime time. So you guys got you got to bump that up, 48. Uh, Channel 14 does it a lot earlier, uh, either 8.55 or 9.55. That's, that's usually when I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After yeah. Nova, maybe I've probably seen it. Yeah. Yeah, and then they do it on weekends uh, a little okay. more often, too. But you can always go to the Stargazer website uh, at stargazersonline.org and watch them. We have them all archived. Oh, okay. Uh, they're on YouTube. They're on the Observatory website also, so you can watch the month's uh, shows. So you want a star, star Hustler shirt? You I don't have a Star okay. Hustler shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I was, yeah, I'm a product of a yeah, later time where Hustler did have a negative connotation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, Hustler? What, what are you hustling? I don't want to be hustled anything. <laughs> Very good. So what's a typical day like for you? I imagine you work a lot of nights. So what, what time do you usually go into the Observatory? and what, what happens from there. Yeah, every every day is always something a little different, that's for sure, which I really like about it. Um, so during the daytime, we do school field trips, okay. and they come and visit the observatory. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff during the daytime, and you think, well, it's the observatory. It's only open at night. But during the daytime, if it's a sunny day, we can put filters on the telescopes oh, yeah. and look at the sun safely. Sunspots. And, uh, yeah, sunspots and solar flares and, uh, you know, last summer's eclipse has been, you know, huge. Oh, yeah. People are And we have another eclipse coming up here pretty quick here in 2024. 2024. Well, I'm glad you think that's quick. That's quick. Uh, <laughs> you know, astronomically speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The <laughs> average public is like six years. <laughs> Call me later. Uh, but I am thinking about stocking up on eclipse glasses. Yes. That's for sure. Because uh, everybody was hot for those. And we're supposed to be closer to totality in that one? Oh, yeah. That we're one's going to be, like, gonna right? be yeah, uh, the, so April 8th, 2024, everybody. Mark yeah, your calendars. Calendar. And right uh, all you have to do is drive west on 74, out towards Indiana, mm-hmm. or north on 75, up towards Dayton. Uh, go about 30, 40 miles either direction from downtown, and you're going to be in the right path of it. totality. Wow. Yep. Yep, so it's going to be really nice. Uh, so I got to see the one last August. I went down to Franklin, Kentucky. Very good. And uh, it was just so awesome to mm-hmm. see that. And uh, and then we've got a lunar eclipse coming up next January, so that's a lot quicker. That's January quicker. Uh, 20th, I believe, is the day for that. But now is that For every lunar eclipse, is there a solar eclipse? Or are there more lunar eclipses than solar eclipses? It is about half and half. half so half. Uh, yeah, each one is about, they occur with the equal frequency, mm-hmm. but... Uh, more people can see a lunar eclipse right, than a solar eclipse. That's probably the perception of, of right. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can so about you know a little over half of the Earth can see every lunar eclipse, but only a narrow portion of the Earth can see every solar eclipse. That makes sense. 
But uh, but yeah, so we do a lot of daytime stuff, and then uh, I, I work maybe about two, three nights a week, something like that. So it's not a, a ton of nights, but getting that combination, I, I really like having that. Now, do you work uh, the Cincinnati Astronomical Society? Is it still a fairly it's big partner with the observatory? Well, so yeah, the Astronomical Society, Cincinnati Astronomical Society, is uh, on the west side of Cincinnati, right. and we are uh, we are two separate organizations. <laughs> right. There is a long, bitter history between really? the two of us nice. <laughs> that has since been resolved ever since the rift 100 years ago that created it. And uh, so I'll, I'll, what was the rift? The rift, well, it's embarrassing because the observatory was on the wrong side of the, the argument. Oh, no. I apologize for bringing it up. No, it's, uh, we were over it. And everybody over there at CAS, they like us. We like that. We have a lot of similar members. Uh-huh. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so we we split over the use of cameras on telescopes. Uh. The observatory was anti-camera. <laughs> the other guy was pro-camera. And what year was this? 1911. 1911. Was when the rift started. And so the pro-camera guy said, "Well, sorry, see you later. I'm out of here. I'm going to make my own observatory." And uh, that's when he started forming that on the west side. Yeah, I, I grew up as a, a astronomical society person. Uh-huh. So. There we go. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no, they're yeah, we love working with them. And, oh, yeah. yeah, we've since we've since buried the hatch, Very and we good. said, yeah, you were right, you were right. Cameras are cool. We like cameras. In fact, we're going to try to do a joint uh, calendar with their members and our members using cameras to Very just good. say. You were right. You were, you know, <laughs> did that guy build observatory, or did they just do go, take telescopes oh, out of the field? Oh man, that would stuff? be another story for your podcast yeah. because the building of the West of the Side Observatory is a it's a it's a borderline tragedy. Uh, I mean, here is this guy. His name was Stewart. He left Cincinnati, went went west, and started building the observatory. Raised all this money, and his he was not thinking small. He wanted to show up the Cincinnati Observatory. He wanted to make something bigger and better than the Cincinnati Observatory. And uh, construction was going well, and then the Depression hit, and all the funders backed out. Mm. The materials that he was going to use were so elaborate that they the cost was astronomical, literally. And, um, so they never finished the observatory. Uh, so now the, the current club has newer, modern kind of little uh, observatories there to, with mm-hmm. modern scopes, some of them quite large. Yeah. Uh, but the original grand plan, man, I mean, it was it, it, it's almost up there with the subway since I subway really? never happened. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So where was it supposed to be? Uh, it's uh, out by uh, Mount Zion Road yeah. uh, by Mitchell Memorial Forest. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, where, yeah, so that's where the CS still is. That. Oh, part of it was built. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, well, they have a whole different facility there now. Okay. But the uh, the ruins of the old observatory used to be the haunted uh, the place where people thought haunted things happened and <laughs> oh. satanic sacrifices were happening. <laughs> oh, wow. And the city has since leveled the site, so there's okay. not even you can you can still find some of the stones yeah. in the woods. Oh, wow. And it's like these beautifully carved stones from an old building from downtown. They transported there. Oh and man, tore down. I know. It's they just never they never could finish it, and uh, so yeah, we could have had two rival observatories, but uh, now we couldn't have seen anything by nineteen twenty. That's right. That's right exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're we're all good now. We're all friends. Very good. Very good. Um, so here's something just something goofy. What are your opinions of Mr. Musk? Oh, yeah, he's a little bit of a, to me, he's a little more controversial than maybe other astronomers. Yeah, I I get kind of a mixed bag when I ask space people. Yeah, that's good to hear because I think the general public loves him and they love his his brashness and uh, 
I consider him. I consider him very important. Right. And he's definitely <laughs> pushing the subject. And he's pushing things, which is good because that's we do need somebody like that. Is he realistic? Is he going to send people to Mars? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know he's in the business, so he's going to know a lot more than me. But from the outsider perspective, we got a long way before we're going to Mars. Right. We got you, a you, lot of stuff. We, now we're going to go down. We're going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think the moon is the first stop before Mars, or do you think we just go to Mars? Uh, I go back and forth on this one. I, I it's a tough one because uh, it's, yeah, the, the 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 one theory is let's go to the moon first. We haven't done it in forty five years. Yeah. We need the practice. Moon is you know there. A couple, it's there. <laughs> it's a three day trip to get there. It's the communication time is one second, so there's no communication lag. We got to practice some landing mm-hmm. things with some orbiting crafts. I mean. Uh, sending people to space station is is nice and all, and I say actually it's kind of cute and all that we can send people up there and send people to the moon forty five years ago. <laughs> so let's so do we need the practice first? Yes, we definitely need the practice. But is there anything to be learned on the moon specifically? Very little, I would say. Um, and, and if we did go on the moon, we. We couldn't just build on the surface. Um, I would have to be subterranean. Yeah, right? we'd have to. So if we built some kind of base, it would have to be uh, lunar caves. Yeah, or caves or something that you could you know <laughs> dome over or something right. like that. And the idea of humans living on the moon does that? Uh, it's it's interesting, but I don't know what scientifically it does mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I kind of I, I'm more of the f- proponent of let's just go for it. Let's skip the moon. We've done shoot it. For, We've been there. The let's just go to Mars and let's go for it. Now that is dangerous also because so the trip to Mars is seven months right. in the spacecraft. The communication lag is twenty to sixty minutes. Right. So you say. Oh man, the, this rock has fallen on me, and then NASA won't know for <laughs> for sixty minutes. What do I do? And then you have medical emergencies, you know. But I so don't know. You you think it's important that people are in outer space? I do in a certain, probably in a different way than Elon Musk does. Okay. I think uh, I think folks uh, like that are they look at Mars as. You know, our destiny in our way. It's our place that we're going to go. We're going to colonize. It also could be a second home for us if things go south here. Mm-hmm. I am not an advocate of that. I am, I am, space is out to kill us. <laughs> you, anywhere you go, you have, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a life of hardship and trying not to die every second of your life. Right. This is not like when people discovered America. Right. This is not like yeah, when yeah, people yeah. went to... And I know there's some correlations. You say, oh, well, people, when they come to America, they didn't ever expect to go back and all right. that. I don't but think... There's still sunshine and water yeah, yeah. and rocks and trees and, and animals that try to eat you. Stuff you've yeah. seen before. Right. And, yeah. and, and as smart as, as uh, uh, Stephen Hawking was... He was a big proponent of, like, we need to find another Earth. We need to find a safety valve to get off the Earth. And I think that is ridiculous (laughs) because, okay, so let's find it. Let's send people to Mars. We're going to save the human race. We're going to send a few hundred people to Mars. All right. Well, great. What about the other seven billion? Thanks a lot for thinking of us. I really appreciate that. (laughs) There's no feasible way we're going to send seven billion people off of our planet anywhere. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so so uh, as a relief valve, it's it's ridiculous. Like I valve. think if we're looking for uh, you know efficiency, let's it's a lot cheaper to save our Earth than to colonize Mars. I agree. We so did such a great job here. What could go wrong there? Well, again, <laughs> when we mess up Mars, then where we're gonna go? We're yeah, not gonna go to Jupiter. So uh, so I I'm so I'm a little different camp on that. I think exploration Mars is awesome as exploration and as just. Uh, there are so many things that could be found out on Mars that I'm really curious about. The idea of could there have been life there? The rovers and the orbiters can find out a whole lot of information, but there's certain things that humans could do better. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I mean, there could be a rover that's been riding on Mars and it rolled over a fossil and we never saw it or just, you know, well, I agree. human yeah. eye is yeah. in human hand or the best scientific equipment. That's right. But it's also incredibly dangerous. And uh, so I, I I think the f sending people to Mars is one of those adventures. I think it could capture people's attention. Yeah. I think it also could make new technologies. I think, but I'm also really scared that somebody's going to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, well, people died during going, Mercury and Apollo. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 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 And so is that enough to stop us? And I, I, I just, I this is me personally. Growing up, we would, uh, we would schedule trips to like uh, Cape Kennedy to see space launches, yeah. you know, or just be there for it to come back. And, you know, I remember standing, we took the, the tour that they give everybody and they have a mock-up of Houston. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah. you get to see the Apollo 11 take off. And yeah, you yeah. see the, the USA <laughs> go past the thing. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, not super patriotic person. Love our country, but not right. like, you know, not thumping. Or, yeah, yeah. And when you look down that that row of people, yeah, yeah. and you see people from India, and you see people from Great Britain, you see people, and you go, you, know, yeah. you stand on the <laughs> That's right. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you, know, the, you know, those kind of things, you know, are... Yeah, we did that. To, yeah, to, to to country and to mankind. Yeah, and and I think that just that idea that that is a reason enough that it shouldn't just be an American project. Yeah. It should be an Earth project. To do I agree. This. And then you get everybody on board with this. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was because uh, I went to see the astronaut Mae Jemison was in town. Yeah, uh, just like and, Xavier. Yeah, yeah, she and. She like put this out there as just like you know we got to think of ourselves as Earthlings. Let's all, we're all Earthlings. Let's go with that. And then uh, agreed. And I think that's a big part of it too. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I go back and forth on the go moon first, then Mars, or just go on to Mars. So I'm on the let's go Mars. Let's go for it. Let's we go should for stop at the moon for a second just to make sure it's okay. Right? <laughs> that's true. We could make sure it's all there. Yeah. Prove, prove everybody who believes you didn't go to the moon. Yeah. Just walk well, out gonna, oh, yeah. They're still not going to believe it. That's I right. saw this crazy commercial the other day when I was watching TV. Like, Audi's going to send a uh, vehicle to space. I'm like, oh, that's a cute commercial. How funny. And then it had a website. And I'm like, oh, okay. The, ha, ha, ha. Very funny, <laughs> Audi. Look, like, Audi is properly sending a vehicle. Like an actual car? Not a car, but they're sending a vehicle. <laughs> okay. It's going to land near the Apollo site, but they are not allowed to go within a thousand yards of it. It's a law. Yeah, you yeah. can't disturb it's the landing. Right? It's <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like they've already decided. Whenever we decide to stay on the moon permanently, we're preserving the landing site. It's like sites. that Futurama episode where yeah. they had to go put the lander back on the, yep. the components. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's protected. Uh, at least they tried to f form a 
internalize uh, that protection. I, I think it's it's uh, loose, but um, everybody's <laughs> just say, okay, if anybody goes to the moon, don't touch the don't flag. Mess with anything, yeah. Yeah. I heard the flag is and white now because of radiation. Or? Most likely, yeah. yeah it's, oh, not okay. a white, it's not an American flag. Yeah, Buzz, flag. Buzz Aldrin <laughs> said when they took off, he saw the flag fall over. Uh-huh. So when the, 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 the thrusters knocked it over... And so if it was knocked all the way over, then, yeah, it's probably all bleached white. Getting all that solar radiation. And And, and India sending a probe there. Yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of visitors. Uh, India and China's in the game. Uh, Russia's kind of given up on that kind of stuff. Uh, I think they're thinking Mars, too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's hard to to say what's going to happen. Mars is definitely the gold ring. I Um, think so, yeah. Yeah. The brass ring, I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, so, I mean, there's some other weird scenarios of how we could get to Mars. I mean, it is not impossible that it would be a reality TV show. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It Absolutely. could be totally Sponsored funded. by Amazon. It could be totally yeah. funded by, it could be that. These people are like, they're stuck on there and they're going to be filmed yeah. forever. Uh, there's the idea of could we should we do one way missions versus two way missions? If you do one way, then you just sign up and you're like, okay, I'm staying. I'm gonna live the rest of my life there. There's all sorts of cool. So I the, should say cool, but well, no, that's cool. Cool ethical <laughs> things. Ethical, to think maybe about. ethical. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, with here's just maybe a little sci-fi going back to sci-fi. Yeah. So we just had the twin brothers, astronauts. Yeah. He comes back, and his DNA is changed from his twin brother. Does that mean that people sent to Mars and have children and reproduce, and they succeed? Are they t- going to be mute? Are they going to mutate genetically so they're distinct from human species? Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> actual one. Martian. That's a tough one. Yeah, I know. His, <laughs> that's out there. <laughs> his uh, yeah, the Scott Kelly's DNA change that he went by. It was. Yeah, it wasn't like he started growing different limbs yeah, yeah. and he, like, his eyes <laughs> changed color. Or and he was joking. He's like, yeah, well, I guess I'm not a twin anymore. I won't be mistaken for my brother. I mean, it's, it was like very minor. Base, base mutation. Yeah, yeah. Base yeah. Um, so uh, that's a good question. I mean, there was just this recent one in there of, you know, can you give birth in space? If you're in weightless conditions, does certain things not happen? I would be really, really worried about whoever does go to Mars. You just have to think, okay, if I make it back, great. <laughs> right. Because well, there's, there's that mentality of people. There are those people out that's there. That's right. You know, and I think I, there's something to be said for that. That that's. Uh, but I, I think that's the, the assumption that I have is anybody goes to Mars right now, they're going to have a really hard time. First, are they going to make it with weightless conditions for seven months? Are they going to be able to survive that once they get to Mars? Mm-hmm. Uh, the radiation exposure that they get on that journey is off the charts. And then forget about the psychological things of, of all that. And then you got to wait on Mars one year to get back because you have to wait for Earth to come back come around back again yep. and then fly seven months to get back. So a two-year, two-month journey is... a big deal compared to you know a year in space that scott kelly did mm-hmm. I, what i found interesting because i interviewed scott kelly is uh you know one of the i read his book and i got the impression like he really liked it uh, he and, liked being up there. he liked being up in space and i think he liked it being up there by himself more than anything and i asked him i said so if we had a mars mission two years gone you know you're gone for two years would you do it again and he said, of course. No, he didn't even think about it. He would, he'd be up there in a second. I was like, you know, but all the people here on Earth, he's like, 
Yeah, yeah I still do it. To those people, and I, I that uh, I, I I that kind of surprised me because that's know, called I, the right stuff, isn't it? That they call it. I <laughs> I think so, but I think there's something there's some uh, I don't know. I I think we find something really fascinating with astronauts, and yeah. and I I've been trying to get my head wrapped around it is what it is, and it's something that we get this impression that they go up and they have this experience, and it's not necessarily some divine experience, but they go up to the other plane and then they come back and we think that they're somehow different. And what I found is they're all pretty much just like, I mean, they, they have the same kind of things. They have the same kind of thoughts up there that an average person would have. I think they just, they have slightly more drive than more drive and a little less. Fear. <laughs> These are all type a folks that yeah, do they get this far. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I thought, all right, you did your year in space it sounded not very fun from the the book, but I think I think there there might be something that when astronauts come back, they're not sure what to do afterwards right. too. I think there's there's some they're not sure what to do with themselves afterwards, and uh, uh, but it, and then the whole public wants access to them and and mm-hmm. all the stuff, and so I I could see it'd be a tough it's a tough transition to come back to Earth and maybe you think. Hmm, so imagine being a person nice. a person like Neil Armstrong. You realize well, yeah. why he might have been so. Yeah. Inclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah Most yeah. famous man on planet Earth. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you think you hear like you think of like the Beatles, or you think he, he's bigger than the Beatles, he's right? Bigger, yeah, he's yeah, bigger yeah. than all those things. I mean, people, kids today know who that is and know who his name trumpet. is. It's, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, and he was. I think he was shocked by it. They tried to prepare him for it. Mm-hmm. I think, but I think he was shocked for it. And he he just was like, well, you know. I wasn't the only one up there. Buzz Aldrin was there too. We both landed at the same time. Yeah. What does it matter that I put my foot on the ground first? Mm. Buzz did the exact same thing I did, and uh, and yeah, why did it just have to be the one? I still don't get why. Yeah, why they both aren't lumped together? Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I I think he, uh, you know, I can understand. You know, everybody wanted a piece of him, and everybody wanted to be part of him. And, and well, I think Buzz Aldrin, a bit of a prickly pear. Yeah, I Buzz is a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a, like, a little different. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, a, he's a stranger cat than Neil yeah. Armstrong ever was. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and uh, so that was yeah. I t- I interviewed uh, James Hansen that wrote the biography on Neil Armstrong, and that, those are the. I didn't really the, the stories about the Apollo launches and everything that happened. I want to know a little more about the the behind the scenes, you know, what he was really like in, in real life and how that affected him. And uh, and yeah, I said, what do you think? There, people people wanted him to have a religious experience up there, and yeah. he sorely disappointed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> he just was like, yeah, well, I did my job and I landed on the moon. And I came back. It's like, yeah, but didn't you feel something? He's like. I did my job. I went to the moon. I came back. <laughs> He's an engineer. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So do we terraform Mars? Do we just go there as is? I mean. Yeah. The terraforming Mars. Boy, that Sagan really. Sagan was big on that. I didn't I know. And yeah. again, because he's in the camp of the let's settle and let's play, make another Earth. Earth and I'm against you. that. So I'm just like not for that idea. I think uh, Mars is, you know, we could. I, I don't know transforming a whole planet I, I don't think I don't think we're ready for that and and so I'm I, there's a lot of money that's for sure there's I a lot of time. technology's not there yeah yeah I mean who knows what we'll be talking about a hundred years from now all the the jumps in technology we've done in a hundred years but uh, I think that space is provides this tremendous challenge and so as far as our technologies go, our technologies you know jumped. You know, there's so many things that we have today that nobody would have ever imagined. But when it comes to space travel, we are really behind what 
we imagined. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, no. I think, you know, we go back 40 years, we were saying, oh, everybody's going to the moon by now. Yeah. yeah Just watch a sci-fi be... show yeah, yeah. from right. 1970. It's yeah. 2007. The, the Jupiter 2 left 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <that in> <laughs> exactly. And so I think that, uh, yeah, I think uh, space is, is provided such a big challenge. And I think that all of our optimism for that it just it's so hard to send things in space and so hard to uh keep people alive in space yeah <laughs> um i think of uh one of my favorite uh novels that is a little under the radar it's a kurt vonnegut novel called sirens of titan and because uh, it was written before cat's cradle and slaughterhouse five which get all the press but sirens of titan is it's a real interesting uh, take on technology mm-hmm. of what's the purpose of technology and space travel. Uh, basically, his idea is uh, you think you're going anywhere. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's it's a very interesting uh, book. I'd highly recommend it. So you see us possibly going to outer space, but you think we're probably more of a. Uh, a planet who sends probes out. I, in this, at this point in our development, yeah, I'd say I can't see things changing in a in a dramatic way in a hundred years mm-hmm. that we can figure that out right. to to for a really major uh, you know mm-hmm. major settlements and major things like that. I uh, yeah, I, I'm of the uh, of the opinion is yeah, we got to get the plus Earth. once we get past Mars, distance is ex- Band well, really. right, right. <laughs> uh, but there's so many cool places to explore. That's that's what. So that that's the down. That's the other side of the coin. Is like, okay, well, we got to figure stuff on Earth. Okay, yeah, yeah. But wait, Mars is cool. Uh, we got this moon Europa of Jupiter. Yeah. that's unbelievable. That could have water in liquid form beyond what we have on Earth. Ask you about Europa. <laughs> we've got uh, we've got. Uh, Io, this volcanic moon of Jupiter, that would be pretty exciting to check out. Uh, we've got Enceladus, a moon of Saturn, which has geysers that shoot out into space. Miles of H2O that shoots into space. <laughs> and so we're finding all these worlds that have water, and a lot of them in liquid <laughs> form, and there's so many places to go visit. And um, I, so I think one of the, the cooler things NASA's done in the last several years is they made these uh very cool looking posters they're like travel posters yeah i've seen those of mars and europa yeah. and and like it, it we are so far away from sending people to europa mm-hmm. and sending people to enceladus but the idea of getting that in our brain like okay that's possible let's imagine we are Hitching a ride on the unmanned spacecrafts. That's what I do. Is I so that Cassini spacecraft that went out to Saturn. Mm-hmm. Those pictures that come back. I'm there. I'm hitched a ride on there. I don't need to physically bodily go there, but it gets my imagination going. That's and, you know, for sure. with, with AI technology coming, getting better and better. You know, you. you just, yeah. I mean, Elliot or Elon Musk put the dummy in the spaceship. Right. Musk put a actual performing robotic yeah. humanoid. Yeah, yeah. And they're looking around and having the same sensory things. You might, you might find that fossil you roll over in the rover that That's way. right. That's right. Yeah, you never <laughs> know. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, and there's so many places that I would like to see. Now, it doesn't have to physically be me. Right. Uh, but I would like to, yeah, there's certain places in the solar system. I, I mean, like I, I remember those first pictures of Mars coming back. You know, there's black and white pictures and just, you know, just on the ground, like you just fell on the ground, just laying on your head. Yeah. 
like just amazing to see what a, the landscape of the world of a different world looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, enough for inspiration. Definitely. Well, do we have the technology now or is not applying it to be able to go to Titan and Io? And I mean, it seems like we do, or do we, there's still some more things we have to do to go to that, that next step to discover even more. Yeah, well, for unmanned crafts, yes, we can do all that stuff and more. It is, it, NASA has to prioritize and their budget, you know, you hear about their budget gets cut and all this stuff. They're doing fine. They're doing okay. It's because I think Congress realizes that NASA serves a lot of roles, and one is technology. And, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you could call NASA stupid if you want, but they don't copyright any of their stuff. Right. <laughs> so you design something for NASA, it's open to the public. Congratulations, you didn't make any money, NASA, off of that. You could, I mean, so they they are they provided more technology for free to Americans than we'll ever mm-hmm. realize. And so we've just kind of turned a corner of an unmanned missions. We had such presence out in the solar system. We had something at Mercury and Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and asteroids and comets. And a lot of those missions are winding down or ended. And so uh, they have to think there's going to be a new push as to, all right, what are the targets we're going to get? We can't, we can only go to so many places. And so Europa is Europa high, is on, the high list, on the list, high on, which is finally good. That's fine. That's so we're going to have some drill that drills under the ice and then submarine robots that go underwater. Yeah. That's a quite a device. It is going to be, it's yeah, because <laughs> Europa is covered in a mile or two miles thick ice co- right. covering. So, uh, so the first mission's going to be, I think it's nicknamed the Europa Clipper is uh, the next one that's going to go over there and scan, scan it all it, around sure. and, and see where the thick parts of the ice are and thin parts of the ice. Then the follow-up mission will be the drill uh-huh. that goes through the ice to see what's underneath. Two-mile uh, drilling. I yeah. A planet, you know, uh, thousands of miles away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, ro- robotically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that, I think, is priority high there. Mars is still there because uh, they're going to be sending another mission to Mars this mm-hmm. go-around. The Jupiter mission uh, called Juno is it's wrapping up. I think it's not going to be lasting too much longer. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, yeah, they have to start thinking of what's the next generation uh, things because yeah, Cassini ended at Saturn, Messenger ended at Mercury, and Cassini ended at Saturn in a spectacular way. Yes, Cassini uh, did. So I mean that uh, I wish that got more press. I, I, don't, I, know do how, I don't know how they get that much. Press how did NASA not use that? <laughs> To their advantage. I mean, you just show a picture of Saturn, and I don't know how they didn't get more press for it, it took a nosedive it, right into it the It went planet. right into the... It, took, it just kind of took pictures as it went yeah. right through the wow. rings yep. and, and destroyed itself, yeah. which is a, 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 what a way to go. Uh, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, that was there for... T- left Earth 20 years ago yeah. and got there. And, yeah, so that was just an awesome mission. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's you know, Mars and Europa are the top two, and asteroids are going to be Titan? around there, too. I thought Titan was, like, a... I'm not super excited about Titan. I know people love Titan, and, uh, you know, they call it kind of like a primitive Earth yeah, and yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's the elements there, but, I mean, the conditions are 300 below zero. We're not talking, like, uh, and there's lakes. I mean... You can imagine, like under under Antarctica, like all the krill and life yeah. living under that that water, full of bacteria, eating bacteria off the ice, and then you have that very similar, much much more extreme, thicker ice conditions, and um, there. But uh, I mean, that's that's the most likely spot. I mean, I, I yeah, just, Europa's yeah, Titan is uh, it's an interesting place, and that would, but it's not. 
not conducive for human exploration right. almost in any way whatsoever. Even robotic, it's, it's a tough prospect. But Titan is an interesting one. Yeah, I definitely put Europa up high, number one, Enceladus, number two. Um, Venus, we've probably given up on because the, <laughs> yeah, just, the the Soviets lasted what fifteen minutes there. Yeah, the acidic, the acidic atmosphere, or the and the extreme they kept heat. trying. I give them, give them credit. They kept oh, sending they? spacecraft yeah. after spacecraft and failure they got the after one to the, failure. They got one to the ground. It lasted for fifteen, 15 minutes. minutes. I think yeah. it's, it's took just, a, a picture yep. and melted the pressure and the heat. Heat and the wow. sulfuric acid yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Venus is not the place you'd want to go. They're ladies uh, on Venus, sorry. (laughs) No, no. It is hot there, but too hot. Uh, So what are people interested in when they come to the observatory? You know, I'm a planet person myself, both our neighborhood and uh, all these planets we're discovering around other stars. Are are people just black holes? The sun, the moon, or is it just a mix of things that you find? Uh, yeah, a real big mix. I mean, uh, yeah, because we usually gear our our, acti- our events after around one object or something like that. So it's so it's either a moon or a planet or a constellation or something like that that we talk about. I think probably if we would go with the top questions, we would get just in general people want to know about aliens. That's probably yeah. high up on the <laughs> list. And no, I've never seen an alien, and no, I've never seen an unidentified flying object. If I ever see anything in the sky I cannot identify, then I identify it, and then it's not yeah. an identified. <laughs> right. So that always disappoints people because they're like, "Oh man, you're you're hiding out on us. You're you're, you're come on, you haven't seen any aliens before." It's the like, basement of the observatory. Yes. Like, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Boxes of aliens. <laughs> and uh, I have been uh, called a uh, government stooge <laughs> that I'm not telling them what I know. And I said, uh, "Do you see in the car I'm driving? The government's not paying me anything." And so that'd be that's high on the list. But uh, that's. I don't know. That's been kind of going down a little bit. Black holes. People want to know about black holes a lot, which to me, black holes are the most boring thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Black hole. So what? There's this thing and it sucks up everything. That's what the movie of the same name. Yeah. I don't need to do that. I don't need to talk about that. But people do. They want to. I don't know why they have this fascination. Of what would happen if I fall into a black hole and where do I go? And I'm like, well, we don't know where you go. You might go to a different dimension. You might go to a different universe. You might go to a different part. Yeah, or or my theory, which is very unromantic, you're just crushed. Yeah, there. We just can't see you. Sorry, but uh, people like that idea. But uh, yeah, I think uh, you know we're getting ready for Mars season, and uh, that is always the most popular planet. Uh, so July 27th is the day Mars is closest to Earth. That's the day. It's closer. It's been 15 years. And so that's going to be probably our big story for, for the summertime. Very good. So the next two months, the big thing are all these planetary bodies being really close and bright and beautiful in the evening and night skies. Yeah. And uh, it's something that, that everybody will be able to notice because you'll see Venus right after sunset mm-hmm. and you'll see Jupiter a little later after that. And uh, these two objects are, you can't miss them. Right. You can't yeah. miss them. Are there any good meteor showers coming up? Yeah, probably the best meteor shower of the year is going to be the Perseids in August. In August. So August 12th to 13th, that's either the, the night of the 12th into the morning of the 13th. That's gotcha. usually the peak. Um, and the moon phase will be good, so the moon won't block out yeah. a lot of the fainter ones. Gotcha. Uh, but I just uh, tell people to beware of any predictions. Right. Okay. Even if they <laughs> see NASA scientists say, yes, get ready for 80 to 100 meteors per hour. 
baloney. <laughs> Even NASA scientists, they, they, they live in this world where like everybody is in Tucson, Arizona, right. and uh, they yeah, have yeah. perfectly dark skies. Mm-hmm. For a, a, an average Cincinnati meteor shower, I'd say about a dozen per hour is nice. nice if you get another. But August makes a great time because you can. it's usually a warmer month. You stay out really late at night. Maybe there's no school, and you're just kicking back, and Absolutely. you just you know just make a night of it. And even if you don't see a ton of shooting stars, you'll see the stars, and you'll see planets. Yeah. And my my know. best has been line- I've lineage. I have a really great lineage shower when I was a kid, and uh, very impressive. Oh and yeah, you go out and you want to see that same thing over and over again. It's it's a little disheartening because you're like, oh, that was amazing that yeah. one time, and you hear these great reports, and then they're. Yeah, you, <laughs> you never know. You never know. And so, uh, yeah, when you're – I'm always – it seems like I'm always looking the wrong way. Like I'm like looking over here and then there's a shooting star and then I hear everybody, whoa. It's like, what? Oh, I missed it. Oh, man, come on. So cool. last thing I had on my list to ask about was exoplanets, the so-called exoplanets. We yeah. have discovered a ton of them lately. Oh, yeah. Seems. That is probably the leading new exciting field in astronomy, I think. Um, the idea of finding these exoplanets out there, these planets that are circling around other stars. And, uh, you know, I would have been in the camp where like, okay, well, is our solar system unique? Is our solar system rare where we have all these planets going around a star? I would have been saying, yeah, I don't know, maybe one in every thousand stars is like that. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a pessimist sometimes, or more realist. And I, you talk to other astronomers 10 years ago, they say, okay, yeah, maybe one in a hundred, maybe one in, and some people say even one in a million, something like that would be like that. But the, uh, the amount of planets we're finding now is way more than even the most optimistic astronomer would have ever thought. Wow. One in five stars has a planet. And that... Which increases the popularity that there could be something crawling around on right. the planets. You get that. more planets, you get more Earth-like the planets. Math, the math starts working in your right. head. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, because first we were finding Jupiter-sized planets, which, because they were yeah. big and bulky and so you can see them easier. Uh, then now we're finding these Earth-sized planets. And there's a ton of Earth-sized planets. Rocky objects where you could stand, where maybe if they're in the right distance from their star, it could be good temperatures. And uh, so if you take one in five stars in the Milky Way galaxy with 200 to 400 billion stars, mm-hmm. that's a whole mess of stars with planets. And that just <laughs> ups the excitement level of, are we going to find another Earth just like our planet where there could be little creatures, where there could be creatures that might communicate? Mm-hmm. Where I mean, I, that that is very exciting. And I, I do go back and forth of how unique is the Earth in our, in our galaxy. And I, even if we are one in a billion, it's a lot. There's still a few. That's not to mention other galaxies. Other galaxies. That's right. I mean, so uh, I I think that is going to be exoplanet story is going to continue, and we're going to find a lot more here in the next twenty years. Mm Uh, and then find out more about those planets too. Yeah, how much will we be able to find out? Do you think? You think our it'll get better with, you know, either visually or just kind of guessing the way the planet's moving or like. Right. Yeah. So right now we don't know a lot. We know they're there. We know yeah. their mass in a lot of cases. We know their size in a lot of cases. Um, we don't know much about their, if anything, about their atmospheres. Okay. If they have atmospheres, what elements there? That's the stuff we're going to find out. Actual temperatures, actual elements that are on the surface, thickness of atmospheres, 
that's the stuff we're going to be finding in the next 10 Cities. years. <laughs> Cities. Yes. TV signals. Yes. But I, I, I feel very confident we're going to find alien life in this century. I agree. I that. feel very, very confident that's going to happen. I totally agree. And so wow. what do we got? 82 years? Mm-hmm. That's good making predictions. In our solar system or out or just all I the, won't all qualify the... that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, not on Earth. So, yeah. So, I don't make wow. predictions very often, but in 82 years, I won't be here to prove exactly. myself. Right? Anyway, so I can I can safely say that. So, I have one more question where it's a silly question. Okay. I saved it for the end because okay. it's a silly question. All right. And I have, I have no affiliation with this question. Can you tell people why the Earth isn't flat? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, I can tell the earth why the earth is not flat. That is one of the startling things that has come back. Because um, I thought we figured that out like, uh, a couple hundred years ago. But, um, yeah, the earth is round. It is a spherical object. And uh, I know this because I've recreated the ancient Greek uh, observations. So uh, Aristotle looked up at the, the moon during a lunar eclipse. And he saw this rounded shadow going across the moon. And he correctly agreed, he correctly (laughs) surmised, that shadow I'm seeing that's going across the moon that's round is the shadow of the Earth going across the moon. And so to Aristotle, he figured that out over 2,000 years ago. And I've seen it for myself. Right. (laughs) Now, uh, on the flip side, um, so uh, these claims of uh, Earth being flat, these are, we would call that, uh, you know, extreme claims. So with extreme claims, you need extreme evidence. So I challenge anybody, especially uh, rich basketball players that will go unnamed or rich musicians that will go unnamed. You have access to wealth. You can charter your own plane. Mm -hmm. And I I challenge you to charter your plane to the edge of the earth. Take a selfie with yourself at the edge of the earth and show us that. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that then shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Very good. So where is the observatory located? Observatory is located uh, in Hyde Park and Mount Lookout here uh, on Observatory uh, Place. And uh, yeah, just right on the way to Alt Park. Uh, you just check us out on the website, CincinnatiObservatory.org. You, you have weekend things that happen there too? Or just Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, Fridays are your big days? Thursdays and Fridays are open to the public all year round. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one Saturday a month, we have special events. Awesome. Okay. Then every episode, we invite the guests to choose a special word that will act as a discount code on the Cincy Shirts website, and they'll get 20% off for the week that the podcast is up. So you can pick one word, and people will be able to type that in and get 20% off. That's Star Hustler. One word. Wow. Okay, so that word. Or two words if it's... it's, Mm -hmm. Let's go with round earth. Round earth. I like it. Yeah, I'll make that one or two words. That's going to be a one or two. Is that too complicated if it's two no. words? Nope. All right, round Anybody earth. Anybody that puts flat earth gets charged twice. Flat earth double. We can, do it. We can <laughs> do it both ways. That's what we did with the last guest. We'll, we'll put it in the code both ways. Well, geez, Dean, thanks. This is terrific. We learned a lot. That's All right. Great. And uh, and maybe I'll be back next time to discuss more about uh, exoplanets and things like that. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Second stage is
Dean Regis from the Cincinnati Observatory. Get all the details about that facility as far as programs, hours, and all that stuff goes at CincinnatiObservatory.org. All one word, of course. If you like the Cincy Shirts podcast, by the way, and it seems you folks do, we have quite a few listeners every week. Uh, please leave us a review in iTunes, which is where most of you seem to be getting the podcast. Or if you're getting it from somewhere else and you can leave a review there, please do that. We would really appreciate it. Uh, today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They're from Philadelphia. You can find them on Facebook, and of course, you can find that song in iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you get your music. Find Vintage Tees from Philadelphia and other great cities like Cleveland, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We just added some new designs to Philadelphia, Houston, Indianapolis, Portland, and Manhattan, so do check those out. We're very excited about those. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is ROUNDEARTH. That's all one word or two words. Either one will work. It's your choice. And that is good at both CincyShirts.com as well as OldSchoolShirts.com. And you'll get 20% off your entire order when you use that code. And again, if you're in Cincinnati, stop by one of our stores. We are in Over the Rhine at 1301 Main. That's our new space. We just moved down the street to that location. Stop by and say hi. We are in Hyde Park on Observatory, of course at the corner of Edwards Road, a block from the square, and just down the street from the Cincinnati Observatory. How about that? Loveland coming soon. The contractors say we can start moving in June 5th. Uh, our One of our co-owners, Darren, he's thinking more like June 15th. We'll be all settled in and ready to go. So uh, keep an eye out for that. We will certainly keep you posted on our website through all our social channels. Uh, we're going to be neighbors of Montgomery Cyclery next door. The Plaid Record Store is right behind us in the same building. So come by and say hi this summer. Other than that, download or stream us next time. Bye. Hey!